Hi, welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. I'm Beth Brown, a pensions partner in the National Employment, Pensions and Immigration Group, and I'm joined by Kerry Fuller. Hi everyone, I'm a legal director in the team and an employment specialist. Today we're going to talk about the pension regulator's draft single code of practice. Beth, before we start, can you briefly talk about codes of practice generally, please? Of course, Kerry. Codes of practice give practical guidance and set out standards of conduct expected when complying with relevant legislation. They're not law, but courts and the pensions ombudsman will take them into account when deciding if a particular statutory requirement has been met. Okay, thanks, Beth. So now we've set the scene on codes of practice. Can you tell us about the draft single code of practice, please? The single code has 51 modules over five sections. The five sections are one, the governing body. I would note that since I deal mostly with trustees of private occupational pension schemes, I will refer to the private occupational pension schemes and trustees instead of the governing body in this episode. Two, funding and investment. Three, administration. Four, communication disclosure and five, reporting to the pensions regulator. The intention is that the new single code will consolidate 10 of the regulator's existing codes of practice. And when it comes into force, those codes will be revoked. The remaining codes, which are not included in this current version of the single code, for example, the notifiable events code, are expected to be brought into the consolidated single code in due course. It was expected that the single code would come into force this autumn, but due to so much else going on, this has been delayed slightly. Okay, so it sounds like the single code is just a consolidation of existing codes of practice, Beth. Is that the case? It does largely consolidate and rephrase the content and requirements set out in the existing codes of practice it covers, but there is also some new content. The new content includes building on existing requirements, for example, developing the requirement to maintain adequate internal controls to include new content in relation to cybersecurity and IT systems, as well as completely new content, for example, an own risk assessment. Although the code will apply to all pension schemes, some of the obligations will only apply to schemes with 100 or more members. Can you tell us a bit about the new content then, please, Beth? I mean, I appreciate that we can't cover everything in the time available and some of the obligations won't apply to all schemes, but it would be good to have a high level overview of some of the key new requirements. Yes, happy to, Kerry. I would just say at the outset that a lot of the new content, it relates largely to scheme governance. Most schemes will be required to have an effective system of governance in place, or what has been referred to as ESOG. And what's an ESOG, Beth? (laughs) An ESOG should include processes and procedures to ensure compliance with scheme governance requirements. These will relate to the management and organisational structure of the scheme's trustee, investment matters and communications and disclosure. Okay, so it sounds like something schemes should be already doing, Beth. A lot of schemes will have various policies in place already. So you're right, really. The the starting point will be to look at what a scheme already has in place and then work out what else it needs to put in place. 
Once an ESOG is in place, each element of it should be reviewed at least every three years to assess whether it is functioning as intended and whether any changes are needed. I would make the point that the reviews of the different elements do not have to take place simultaneously, which means that a staggered approach can be taken, which will make the review process more manageable. Okay, thanks, Beth. So what about the new content then? I think you mentioned an own risk assessment. The own risk assessment, or ORA, is probably the most significant new provision in the single code. This is separate from a scheme's typical risk management processes. I'm not going to go into too much detail in the time available, but essentially the ORA is an assessment of how well the ESOG is working and how well potential risks are being managed. It will need to cover how the trustee has assessed the effectiveness of each of the policies and procedures covered by the ORA and whether the trustee considers the operation of the policies and procedures to be effective and why. Once the single code comes into force, schemes will only have 12 months in which to carry out their first ORA. After this, the ORA will be carried out on an annual basis or whenever there's a material change in the risk facing the scheme or to its governance processes. The ORA should be in writing, it should be signed by the Chair of Trustee and it should be made available to the regulator on request. Well, that sounds like a lot of work for schemes, Beth. The regulator has warned that the first ORA will be a substantial process. However, it's also worth noting that the ORA should be proportionate to the size, scale and complexity of the scheme. OK, that makes sense, Beth. I'm conscious of the time, but are there any other completely, is there any other completely new content in the single code which you think is worth mentioning? I think it would be helpful to briefly mention the remuneration policy and the new content relating to advisors and service providers. Okay, could you start with the remuneration policy, please? Yep. Certain schemes will have to put in place a written policy on remuneration, which sets out the levels and means for remunerating those undertaking scheme activities, which are paid for by the trustee and or the sponsoring employer. The remuneration policy should be proportionate to the size, scale, nature and complexity of the scheme activities. It should also support effective management of the scheme and be aligned with the scheme's long-term interests. It should be reviewed at least every three years, although the regulator is encouraging trustees to review it annually or after any significant change in the scheme's governance arrangements. The final point I'd make is that the remuneration policy should be published on the scheme's website or otherwise made available to members. Thanks, Beth. And what about the new content relating to advisors and service providers? Trustees should put in place processes for the selection, appointment, management and replacement of advisors and service providers. In particular, they should put in place written policies for making appointments to the scheme. Such a policy should be reviewed at least every two years. Trustees should agree performance indicators on appointment and secure accountability within the service provider. There should then be a process in place to regularly assess performance against agreed key performance indicators and service level agreements, as well as to ensure that improvements are made where any poor service is identified. 
Great. Thanks, Beth. That is helpful. So to finish off, can you tell us what your takeaways for our listeners are, please? I think the key is, first of all, keeping track of the date that the new single code is coming into force. Although there is no reason why trustees and employers can't start looking at the requirements and what needs to be done now, especially given that it's not expected that the content of the code will change much before being adopted. But from a practical perspective, I think the starting point is, as we briefly mentioned earlier, Kerry, to look at what policies and processes a scheme already has in place and then identify what a scheme needs to do to ensure it's compliant with the single code. And when I talk about compliance with the single code, I mean taking account of the existing code requirements, the additional obligations added into the existing requirements and the completely new requirements. It might be helpful at the outset to discuss responsibilities and who will be taking the lead on implementing any changes needed, as well as for the ongoing reviews to ensure continued compliance. Great. And presumably, Beth, this is something you can help with? <laughs> yes, it absolutely is, Kerry. Great. Well, on that note, all that is left to say is thanks to you, Beth, and also thank you um, to everyone for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.